0: Welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we're releasing a bonus episode. This is my recent appearance on the Chatting Fit podcast with Finlay McLaren. This was episode number 33, which was released on January 5th, 2023, and was titled Calories versus Ketones, How to Burn Fat. Apparently, Finlay and I were separated at birth. We have become really, really good friends. I'm so glad that I found him. I did find him and his podcast while I was doing research for an interview that I was preparing for, and I was so super impressed with the work that Finlay has done so far. As I mentioned, this was only... His 33rd episode of his podcast, but he has already managed to create a really high quality show that features really intelligent conversations with a lot of people that we've already had on our show, including people like Dr. Anthony Chafee, Dr. Bill Schindler, Dr. Natalie E. West, and Belinda Fetke, among others. I was really happy to find his show and binge all of his episodes that he has created so far. We were fortunate enough to host Finley on our show as well, so you may recognize his name. If not, be sure to go back to episode 388 of Boundless Body Radio, and we also hosted him twice on the how to make a podcast podcast our sister podcast since the conversation was going so well and we were running out of time i had to invite him back for a second episode we are actually starting to talk about doing some sort of collaboration in the future which i am super excited about so be on the lookout for that as always be sure to look up chatting fit on apple podcast and give him a five-star rating and review for his hard work and without further delay enjoy my conversation on the chatting fit podcast with Finlay mclaren you a calorie restricted diet, you will lose weight, the weight that you lose will be some fat, but it's also going to be a lot of other things like muscle mass, you're going to lose connective tissue, bone density, like we mentioned earlier. What would happen is we would see your metabolic rate start to trend downward and start to meet your intake needs so that what was working before is now no longer working.
1: Hello and welcome to Chatting Fit the podcast that gives you knowledge and opinions from the world of health and nutrition and more. My name is Finlay McLaren and I am your host. Good morning, good afternoon or good night, wherever in the world you are, welcome to the show. Can you believe it's 2023? I've got a good feeling about this year, but why I can hear you mutter? Well, the reason is I've seen more and more people making the connection between metabolic health and overall health outcomes like mental health, physical health, their ability to lose weight, the energy levels that they have in the gym or in daily life. Super important. For too long, we've been stuck in the dogma that it doesn't matter what you eat, it just matters how much you eat. Today, I'm joined by Casey Ruff, the host of Boundless Body Radio and the How to Make a Podcast podcast, what a name that is for a podcast. He's an incredibly experienced personal trainer, nutrition coach, performance enhancement specialist, and he's an absolute expert in understanding how the food we eat impacts the metabolic condition we find ourselves in. How easy is it for our body to access fat stores? How easy is it for us to convert the food we put in our mouths into energy for our body to use? Casey is an absolute G of the podcast world, having started Founders Body Radio back in October of 2020, and he's already done nearly 400 episodes. I've already told him I'm going to start calling him the podfather because that is absurd. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please do drop us a like, a share, a subscribe, whatever you've got the time to do at the moment. I know you're all living very busy lives, but a like, a share, a subscribe, a review really helps the show to grow just that little bit more. And without further ado, let's hear from Casey. So, Casey, thank you so much for joining me. Stanley McLaren, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Could you just kick us off by telling us a bit about your background and what you do today? Yeah, absolutely. So I am
0: a personal trainer and a nutrition coach. I got started in 2007 as a personal trainer for a large corporate gym. Um, I had joined the gym uh, during an off season of cycling training. I wanted something to do in the wintertime. And this new um, pretty fancy gym kind of opened up near me at the time I was studying to be an architect in college. Um, but again, I joined this gym and started watching, you know, some of the trainers and what they were doing and kind of thought like, Oh, this would be a nice little, you know, job to have at least, you know, to help me get through school. I was working in a bike shop at a time, which I really enjoyed, but I I kind of thought that the trainers, um, the way they were, you know, communicating with people is really interesting. And they were also using technology at the time, which I had been using for several years. So they were um, using heart rate monitors to help kind of dictate people's training programs. And they were actually using what's called a metabolic heart to validate different training zones and, and heart rate zones and programs, cardiovascular programming. And that kind of stuff, I had been interested in for a lot of years. And so I went into the manager's office and asked what I needed to do to be a personal trainer. Uh, he told me the basic certification that I needed to go get. And so I went online and got that certification after a few months of really hitting the books. Um, I remember uh, the manager described me as being bright-eyed and butchy, bushy-tailed at the time, <laughs> although I didn't have any experience whatsoever. After passing my personal training certification, fortunately, I knew everything there was to know about fitness and training people and exactly. Oh, Yet. exactly the right way that somebody needed to squat and exactly the perfect program design. There's only so, one way. There's only one way. It was really easy. And that was, that was the the very last time my very first day as a personal trainer was the last time I felt comfortable saying anything about personal training. It's all just <laughs> yeah. been kind of downhill from there. Um, But yeah, man, I, I, I loved it. I I loved working with people. I loved using technology to help, you know, get people really good results. And, you know, over the years learning about nutrition and how we can change our metabolism and, you know, using the tools that we had available with us at the time, even though we didn't really use them to the full way that we were using them by the time I, I, um, you know, the pandemic hit and I stopped working at that club, um, was really different. And it was a really cool experience. And I've been fortunate enough to make training and nutrition coaching my career. And I've done it for almost 16 years
1: now. Mm. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's amazing that you made the point about like, once you actually qualify as a personal trainer, then you realize, you know, nothing,
0: (laughs) you know, nothing. It sucks, man. It sucks for as much as you want to say, like, this is the exact program. This is the Mm. exact, uh, you know, order of exercises, the right way to do these exercises, the exact amount of reps and sets. Yeah. You learn very quickly that people have different preferences. They move very differently. They have different, you know, backgrounds of different Mm. activities they've done. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a sobering and humbling thing i would say to go yeah. through to realize like wow you you really
1: have to always have a beginner's mindset when you're doing this kind of stuff 100%. The more you can take that into like every area of your life i believe that the better you're going to be because then at least you're continuing to learn. Yeah. But um and and the other point i wanted to make you know anyone who, who's just hearing about you today who hasn't heard any of the stuff that you've been doing you know since 2020 you've got your boundless body radio and on that, I'm so impressed with how many people you get on the show and how well you get to the core of their knowledge and their information. And that for me is like, as, as someone who's working on, you know, seeking out more information myself, it's great to see someone like you who's started, you know, only two years ago, I guess now, and you're up to how many episodes?
0: Oh boy. So yeah, we did start in October of 2020 um, with the podcast and I don't know, man. I just it, podcasting was such a, a special thing for me and a, a special way to learn a lot of this information. I'm sure you can absolutely relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the day the day that I really kind of learned about. Uh, you know, the importance of nutrition and how, again, that can influence metabolism and things like that. That was the last time I listened to music in my car, like yeah. being able to look up podcasts and and hear people and their exact current thoughts today on what they think of things and even differing opinions from what I believe and believed at the time. It was, it was really special. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, we started in October, 2020, and I just immediately had so much fun doing it and realized like, wow, I can access people who in, in my world are rock stars. Like, like, I choked up the first time I got to interview Nina Teichels because it's Nina Teichels, the author of The, the Big Fat Surprise. And like... I get it. I'm talking to her. I'm having a conversation with her. So yeah, it was really special. And we just, I love doing it. And so we kind of settled into a cadence of doing three days a week of releases and that's continued. We haven't stopped. And so after two years, we're at about 400, you know, podcast episodes um, that we've completed, including an episode with yourself, which I was super excited to do and really excited to share your story as well. And, and yeah, just understanding the impact that all of us, you know, that, that are on the ground that are learning this stuff we can really have on people by sharing our message and, and having great conversations. It's been really fun. And again, I, I know that's super relatable for you and your work. hundred
1: percent, hundred percent. And that's the only way we get further forward in this stuff and keep, keep the message alive is by talking about it. So, you know, I appreciate yeah, I the work you're doing. Um, Thank you. The thing I wanted to get rolled back round to is you had this experience with, um, when you became a personal trainer and you started working with it's metabolic cart or metabolic heart, like heart. Yeah, CART, C A R T, CART. cart. Yep. So, working with this stuff, and I'm just curious, what did you learn from looking at people's metabolism in particular and their heart rate when training, um, rather than just looking at, you know, for instance, what we see in the regular personal training world, which is like strength tests or fitness tests or looking at someone's weight?
0: Yeah, this is a really unique piece of technology that really helped me and my understanding of human metabolism. And so basically, a metabolic cart to kind of give you some background, is basically this, this kind of like a black box piece of equipment that would be attached to an umbilical cable. So a cable that would be registering respirations that was connected to a mask um, that somebody would wear. And we would do two different versions of this particular assessment or this particular test. One of them we would do at full rest so we would just take somebody um, you know preferably right after they have woken up, put them in a dark office, we put this mask on them, attach it to this uh, you know metabolic heart analyzer that was then attached to a laptop which was showing us data and the breathing information is what we were most curious about and where we would learn the most information so the number one thing that we learned you know in the very beginning when we were using this back in 2007 was the more, the more breathing you would do, the more breath you would have would basically be a direct correlation with how many calories your body would be burning. And so if you think about like sitting in a desk, doing nothing, um, you know, working on a computer, you're not really breathing that much. Most people should be able to, you know, do nasal breathing as they're just kind of sitting there at their desk. Um, you know we 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 understand that they're not really burning a ton a ton of calories when they're doing that if they were to go outside of their office and sprint down the road they would obviously be breathing a lot more which it, again is a correlation with how many calories somebody was burning. And so again, if we go back to that kind of resting assessment that we would do, we would just simply measure somebody at rest and tell them, okay, with doing nothing, just being, you know, you every single day, this is how many calories you burn. We would then kind of compare it to like an average essentially of, you know, people that were the same age, height, weight, and gender of that same person using different formulas and calculations. One of the most popular ones is called the Harris-Benedict Calculation, which is a way to calculate uh, again what we were measuring, which is called resting metabolic rate. How many calories do you burn sitting in a dark office, not moving? This is the calories that the amount of energy do you burn while you're breathing and you're thinking and your heart is working and you're generating, you know, temperature with blood pumping and all that stuff. We would be able to tell somebody how many calories that they would burn. And then the other assessment that we would run would basically be the same kind of setup. We would use the same mask, the same metabolic cart, but this time we would start somebody at a very easy intensity, whether it would be on a rowing machine or a treadmill, really common or like a bike. And we would just slowly kind of turn up the intensity so that their heart rate would just slowly, slowly climb until they would just quit, they would want to stop the test. And so classically, a lot of people have seen that before, maybe in commercials or documentaries, or maybe at their local gym, and would associate that with a VO2 max test where mm-hmm. we would be able to tell, you know, how much air can you intake and deliver to working muscles. And then, um, you know, we would, we would take that number and divide it by give somebody their VO2 max, the the amount of oxygen they could take in at their maximum divided by kilograms of body weight. So that was a nice performance measure. Um, We, again, over time, we learned how to use that in in many different ways. But initially, it was really just to tell somebody, okay, like you burn this many calories, so you should eat this many calories. And if you exercise this many calories and you eat this many calories less, you're going to lose one pound a week. And if you do that for 20 weeks, you're going to lose the 20 pounds you wanted to lose, And and that's all we really understood at the time was just that really simple equation of calories in and calories out. Mm. And so, you know, it was nice to know that information. It was really nice to know somebody's VO two score, but like it never really got people great results. We just thought people sucked at following the information. Like we're telling people like, okay, you burn 1600 calories at rest. Now I want you to only consume 1800 Mm. calories. And, and work out 500 calories. And so again, the difference there, you should, you know, burn off an additional thousand calories every single day. You multiply that by a week, that's two pounds a week. And nobody was able to do it. Like very few people were able to maintain that. And we just thought like, Oh, you guys just suck at following the advice. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was, it was really frustrating to have that technology without, you know, again, over time, understanding how to really utilize mm-hmm. that and get people really good results.
1: And, and then, from there, because presumably once you'd learned that you could at least measure what this base metabolic rate or this, this resting metabolic rate was, did you see how, or I kind of know the answer, but I'm curious to know, in your words, how you then implemented dietary changes to to impact what you'd learn on those readings? That's a that, great
0: question. That was the game changer. This was, um, you know, I'd been doing... That kind of work and using metabolic hearts to help people understand a little bit about their metabolism. But it wasn't until we did a call as a company with somebody who was in Colorado who was using the same type of equipment that we were using, but he was a coach for endurance athletes. And he then was explaining to us how he was using that information and changing people's diet to then manipulate the information that we were getting from the tests and so everything that we've talked about so far is using the metabolic cart to determine how many calories somebody was burning um, using their the the respiration the air the quantity of air that was coming in and out but our metabolic carts actually went one step further where not only were they measuring the total volume of air the volume of respiration it was also measuring the oxygen and the carbon dioxide that was both being inhaled and exhaled so that then we could go one step further and determine not only how many calories somebody's burning but where those calories were coming from were you burning more of your calories from carbohydrates were you burning more of your calories from fat or was it kind of like a 50-50 split
1: and, it, and we it, sorry sorry to jump in and you can tell that because one by the either, either when you're burning carbohydrates more you produce more carbon dioxide or vice versa Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. So this is a metric that is called
0: respiratory respiratory quotient or respiratory exchange ratio. So it refers to the amount of oxygen that, you're com- that is coming into the body and the amount of carbon dioxide that you're producing from that intake. What, what are you outputting from that? And yes, when your body is burning more carbohydrates as a fuel source, you will produce more carbon dioxide as a byproduct of that. And we were always able to measure that. We just didn't understand how nutrition fit into that. And so if you came in and did a test and say, you know, we found out that at rest, you were burning 2000 calories, but 80% of those calories would come from carbohydrates. We would just understand that, okay, well, you know, you're burning 2000 calories, 80% of those calories are coming from carbohydrates. So you should do really well on a high carbohydrate diet and you need to work more carbohydrates into your diet. And, you know, as a especially as an endurance athlete, I was you know racing road bikes at the time and you, we uh, the only thing we knew is a high carbohydrate diet. you had to consume massive amounts of carbohydrates not only in your diet but also while you were exercising. and and the issue there was the body can store a seemingly like limitless amount of fat that it can use as energy but it can also store carbohydrates as energy in the form of glycogen. The problem is it's just such a finite amount of storage space that you have. And so, you know, again, as an endurance athlete, I would just understand that if I went and did a hard ride for an hour, hour and a half, and I didn't, you know, take in fuel, carbohydrate fuel with me, um, then I would bonk, I would hit the wall. And we, we knew that for everybody that was coming in. And so all of a sudden you have this coach that's telling us that he's got world-class Ironman triathlete, that are only taking in like 50 or 60 calories per hour. You know, when I was coaching people to take in hundreds of calories per hour in the form of sugar. And these athletes that he was coaching were doing quite well and actually changing how they were burning fuel and teaching their bodies that they could reduce the amount of calories that they were burning from carbohydrates increase the amount of fat that they were burning and thus not really tap into that very limited amount of carbohydrate storage that we were talking about. And these these athletes were able to last full Ironman without bonking, without hitting that energy shortage that that was the only thing we really knew. That was, that was the game changer, in my opinion. That's where we understood that, yeah, you can manipulate the diet and affect somebody's ability to burn those different fuel sources and all of the different benefits that we saw from that. It was pretty cool.
1: Because that sounds incredibly relevant to what we have today in terms of an obesity crisis and people who hold too much weight and ability to access those fat stores. So most
0: people, yeah, most people, when they say they want to lose weight, they mean that they want to lose fat. They don't want to lose muscle mass. They don't want to lose bone density. They don't want to lose connective tissue. They want to preserve that. And so when they think weight loss, what they really mean is fat loss. And so- Yeah. In in this world where we have such a small percentage of people who are metabolically healthy, who are at the target weight that they want to be at, most people have extra fat that they want to get rid of and burn off. Yeah. It would be incredibly important if we could teach those people to utilize the hundreds of thousands, in some cases of calories of fat that people are already storing. Why not teach them how to burn that off and get rid of it? For once and for good. Yeah, incredibly important. It was important for endurance athletes not to bonk. It was important for fat loss goal type people to learn Mm -hmm. how to burn fat. It was important for people who didn't want to eat many meals and many snacks every single day and feel really satiated and feel like they had good energy. It was basically just teaching people that the fat you store on your body is a wonderful energy source that you can burn you can use as that energy source and not really need to continue consuming calories from your food yeah it was it was incredible it was totally a game
1: changer i would say and what does that look like in terms of dietary change like how how when you're looking at a diet that is promoting burning fat versus a diet that's promoting burning carbohydrate what does that look like in structure Great
0: question. Really great question. The only thing we really knew about nutrition back in the late 2000s is that, you know, a kind of a bodybuilder style diet is what most people needed to follow to get the best results. So we were coaching people to have lots of lean protein, lots of brown rice, lots of vegetables, lots of meal prepping, lots of snacks. And again, you could get kind of mixed results with that, but really never anything that was like longer and sustaining. And so we started to learn that, first of all, the fat wasn't necessarily bad in the diet. Like when people started mentioning the word healthy fat, like at first that sounds like this crazy oxymoron. Like, what the hell is a healthy fat? There's no such thing as healthy fat. Like stupidest thing I've ever heard. And we started to learn, like, yeah, these endurance athletes that this guy was coaching were eating bacon and eating cream and eating butter, and they were, you know, doing fine. And those foods were fine to bring back into the diet. That was kind of the first step. Um, we learned, uh, you know, early on that nuts and seeds were a really great source of um, healthy fat, which I, I would say is debatable now. Mm. Uh, we learned that, fat, that that fruit fats, like avocados and olive and olive oil, was a really good thing. And so all of a sudden, you know, the the sandwiches that people would eat could now have avocado slices, and maybe the salads had a little bit more olive oil dressing than they used to. And that was kind of how that first really started. And it was over time that we started to realize like, not only could we start to lower the amount of carbohydrates in the diet, but carbohydrates were actually not essential for any critical purpose of the body. And you could really drop the level of carbohydrates down. But again, that was a that was kind of a slow progression that took a lot of years to really understand. But initially, the first thing that we learned that you could really change somebody's diet was adding fat back into the diet where fat was pretty much devoid from most people's quote unquote, like healthy diets back in the day. Mm.
1: Yeah. That's, the crazy thing is as well, like things like, well, I mean, we're talking essentially about a more of a ketogenic diet here, whereas we're, we're with the extreme sides, you actually get into ketosis and you can burn ketones and everything. But a lot of people see keto and in its previous terms i guess atkin the atkins diet and carnivore diet and all of this stuff people go oh it's just a fad like it's That's- just it's just gonna go it's you know people aren't gonna be talking about it in 10 years or five years when really what we're eating now is the fad like yeah. the, the the standard american diet yeah or, or the european diet or whatever type of diet you want to say like when we have access to all of these incredibly processed foods, that's the fad, that's the yeah. change in our diet. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And on behalf of the United States of America, I want to thank <laughs> you for introducing this absolutely horrible diet and shoving it down everybody's throat. <laughs> yeah. So you're welcome. <laughs>
1: you're welcome. Yeah, really, really nice. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. Man. You're yeah. welcome for that.
0: Mm-hmm. No, you're right. And people don't understand <laughs> what they what they, you know, can't really relate to. And so if you're born in this generation, what you understand as food is vastly different than what our species is understood as food for a really long time. I think one of our mutual guests um, that we had in the past, and you've had also, everybody should go back and listen to Dr. Bill Schindler Mm -hmm. and how he explains some of this stuff and explains like, great you know, us, yeah, amazing. And us like sitting around and asking how we should feed ourselves is so preposterous it's it's so bizarre that we have to sit around and say, like, what diet is best? Like we shouldn't have to be able to do that. But we live in this world, you know, especially like around me, where yeah, there's grocery stores that are selling things like fruits and vegetables, things from all over the world, you know, that shouldn't be in my area, especially this time of year. But also that like across the street is the soda store that's selling buckets of soda and sugar cookies for a few bucks a day. And people don't understand that that is the fad. That is the very new thing in our diet.
1: And i heard you mentioning I, I can't remember which podcast you were on it was it was um i listened to about a week ago and it was you were talking about you can see the ebbs and flows of customers coming into these shops and these soda stores or whatever it might be at the times when their blood sugar's crashing because they've had a high carbohydrate diet so like you can see the impact of this dietary stuff like in just human behavior yeah
0: you you can in human behavior um Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I thought that was really interesting to Google that same soda store. And just anecdotally, what I was noticing as I was finishing my training day and driving by the store, you know, it was like three in the afternoon and it always seemed really busy. And so just punching it into Google and seeing where the most popular times are. And it didn't make sense. It was like two or three hours after a normal mealtime. And, you know, observationally, I thought that was interesting, but also observationally, you can just walk around. And it's almost like playing like where's Waldo? Like go to a public space and count how many like obviously healthy people that you can find. It's it's not many, man. Mm-hmm. It's it, it whatever we're taking as like the average, we're also taking as normal. <laughs> And like you said, you mentioned it with a diet, like we think that the standard American diet is the normal and it's absolutely not. It's a total scam Mm. and people really suffer and they become very unhealthy. Mm. And we're creating a lot of people that are generating tons of revenue for the medical field, generating tons of revenue for people like me in, you know, the training service where everybody's unhealthy. Everybody needs
1: our services and it sucks. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah. But this is the crazy thing is that and we mentioned just before the show, like they, there are these influencers out there that are making, that are getting incredible attention by telling everyone that a calorie is a calorie is a calorie. It doesn't matter what it's made up from in terms of human health. And of course, the, their their go-to is that, yes, a calorie is a unit of measurement. So therefore, the amount of energy that it holds does not change. And that's correct. You know, like I think one calorie is like the the amount of energy that it takes to increase Either one um like one cubic centimeter of water by one degree, and yeah. yes, like that's a calorie that's a unit of measurement that doesn't change, but the way that it affects the human body has a huge impact, whether it's made of fat carbohydrate seed oils protein, whatever it might be, but there's a huge section of the internet that wants to tell everyone yes, you can have a Mars bar if you want and you can feed that into your diet and you can still be healthy and you can still lose weight. And there is a small element of that, but it misses out a huge element of the picture. I, Dude, I couldn't agree more.
0: And this is where I am so fortunate that I had the experience working on that metabolic heart for 13 years before the pandemic, because we were able to not only measure, you know, what was happening with somebody in that moment, but we could measure trend lines over time. And we started to recognize different patterns. So the very first pattern that I would say we recognized by using that metabolic cart is if you did a calorie restricted diet. So if we go back to what I was saying before, and we measured your metabolic rate, and I said, okay, Finley, you're burning 2000 calories every single day at rest. I need you to not eat less than that, because what's going to happen over time is if you eat 1500 calories, your natural burn rate is eventually going to start coming down to meet your intake. And so, yes in the beginning, doing a calorie restricted diet will make you lose weight. But by using those metabolic carts, we could also measure what was changing in the person that was what at, at first was not true, but then was becoming true over time. So again, I could give you a calorie restricted diet, you will lose weight, the weight you lose will be some fat, But it's also going to be a lot of other things like muscle mass, you're going to lose connective tissue and bone density, like we mentioned earlier. And what would happen is we would see your metabolic rate start to trend downward, and start to meet your intake needs. So that what was working before is now no longer working. But the problem is on a lower metabolic rate, you fundamentally are very different. So I'm going to assume that on a diet, your energy is going to decrease your motivation is also going to start decreasing. You think you start out a diet with tons of willpower and over at the course of a few weeks, your willpower is waning and you're wondering like, why, why am I no longer able to resist donuts and, and the sweet things that I wanted before and the body's craving it. Um, your body temperature will start to decrease. So I'll notice that you're, especially like your hands and feet, your extremities are starting to feel much colder as your body temperature is literally dropping. And these are the people that, again, they do the diet, they lose some weight. Now we start to see that effect take shape and and in that state you're teaching your body literally to become more efficient with calories more miserly with calories only do the functions that you absolutely need to survive and now your cravings are going through the roof you're going to try to like seek out any calorie bomb that you can possibly get and on a lower metabolic rate if you start to add a few hundred calories to that you just flipped the entire equation and now you're going to start to gain weight And the body only understands that you went through some type of a famine. You weren't getting enough calories for what you needed. Let's hoard all the calories that we get until we feel safe again. And that's why most diets fail. They absolutely fail because people are going through those effects. They, they end up on that diet, you know, weighing 10 pounds heavier than they ever started. And we notice that the metabolic rate doesn't necessarily recover back to where it was. The body remembers that. Mm -hmm. And so that's the only thing that we really understood about metabolic rate in the beginning is if you did a calorie restricted diet, yes, that equation works until you teach the body to adjust the equation and bring you back into equilibrium. And now that equation that worked before no longer works. And so, yeah, that's, that's my issue with it as well. And I, I think you're right to take issue with it also is that that you're only looking at a fixed machine. When you look at the math, you're not, you're not assuming that the machine is going to
1: change, but it absolutely does based on what we feed people. An amazing point. Amazing point. The machine changes as we change inputs, which is not, it's not what people think. People think, you know, a human body is a human body. And, and I think there's too much stress placed on, on genetic variability and variability (laughs) between humans. And I think you mentioned it the other way. It's like, there's very 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 few people who like a ketogenic diet or a high fat low carbohydrate diet would not work for in terms of improving health improving body function improving weight loss and all and everything in between yeah yeah no
0: i totally agree and i think all of us in the nutrition world are really cautious when we talk about things like that and we'll say like well you know, this diet isn't for everybody. Maybe it doesn't work for everybody as far as this goes. And I don't know, man, I, I'm kind of with you. Like I'm getting to the point that like, I, I need to start seeing people who this doesn't work for to, to be able to like continue to say that. So one of the really interesting things and really the way that I got into more of like the low carbohydrate, no carbohydrate ketogenic space, again, goes back to those metabolic carts. And so again, if you did a calorie restricted diet, you've done several of them, especially in the past, we would notice your metabolic rate would be less than average, lower than average for what it should have been. And we need to do some work to get that to go up, increase your metabolic rate. Now, the weird thing that was happening is people started doing keto. They heard keto was really interesting and a good way to lose fat. And then people, you know, either naturally because they weren't hungry or they started also hearing about fasting, they started to try intermittent fasting. And this is where things got really, really interesting. We already knew that if you increase the amount of fat that you burned and you decrease the amount of carbohydrate, or I'm sorry, you, you decrease the amount of fat. I'm <laughs> Let me start over. <laughs> start again. <laughs> start again. We learned that when you increased the fat that you, you were consuming and decreased the amount of carbohydrates you were consuming, you could influence the percentage of fat that your body would use as fuel. So we already knew you could change that, but I had no idea how that would affect your overall metabolism. So now we've got people doing keto, they're doing fasting, they're coming in to do these metabolic tests with me and we're noticing that their metabolic rate at rest was not lower than normal. It wasn't even the average kind of normal that it should have been. It was like 200 calories higher, 300 calories higher, in some cases like 5 or 600 calories higher than the normal average expected value for somebody that was in their age, height, weight, and gender. Wow. And so we were like, wow, I don't know what's going on, but your body is not only burning a ton of fat, but it's actually burning a lot of calories. Like you're sitting here burning a higher than average number of calories. You could really lose weight without exercise because of the rate of fat burn and the rate of calorie burn that people were having when they started doing keto and low carb and fasting, but I would still tell people like, okay, this 2,600 calories that you're burning at rest. That's the minimum. We don't want to see your metabolism go down. So you need to eat 2,600 calories a day. And I'll never forget one test that I did on a guy that was exactly that situation. He should have been burning just less than 2000 calories at rest. His metabolic rate came back at 2,600 calories. I told him he had to eat at least 2,600 calories a day. And he said like, whoa, like, what do you want me to do? Like, I've changed my diet. I feel really great. I'm eating lots of protein. I'm eating lots of fat, but I'm getting so full with these foods. I can't eat 2600 calories. Mm. There's no chance. Like, do you want me to go back to, you know, Twinkies and soda and donuts? Like, I don't want to go back to doing that, but I also don't want to see my metabolic rate crash. Mm. And I was like, yeah, like, you're right. Like, how does that make any sense? And that's what really threw me into the low carbohydrate space, and, and really led me yeah. to appreciate fasting and keto was understanding that when your body finds the hundreds of thousands of calories of fat on the body, it was always there. It was always ready to burn, mm-hmm. but your hormones from the types of foods that you were eating were keeping it locked away. Once your body finds it, it, it finds it and wants to get rid of it. It's like, great. Well, we've got energy. It's already here. We don't need to eat more we just need to burn off the food that we've already eaten. And that's when we see the metabolic rates start to come up. And the body is now like going through all of these calories and getting rid of them. And now we go back to that equation of calories in, calories out and say like, we just flip the script mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily the calories in, calories out. But what if I can get my clients to just burn more calories all the time, mm-hmm. every single day, we don't need to worry about the calories they're intaking. And so that's what really influenced my decision on that whole equation. And that's what makes me equally frustrated to you is like seeing people that are like really promoting the idea that a calorie is a calorie. They're missing a big piece of the puzzle. And I think they're very much um, deceiving
1: most people who think they know what they need to do to get in good shape. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's the problem is it's like you've got people out there like Lane Norton and Graham Tomlinson, and they just want to come after people. They just want to shout you down and go in on people who are saying that there is more to the picture. There's hormones that are at play There's because the way I say it is kind of threatening their dialogue that everything is super simple and everything. And they're enabling people in a way to (laughs) be soft with, you know, eating whatever they want and having also a great, weight loss and great figure and great journey and great health experience while still consuming all this stuff that's really bad for you and so like they've really risen to risen to risen to prominence by both casting aside all of these arguments that you're talking about and all of these you know things that are based on scientific basis and and anecdotes that are real people getting real results in favor of them elevating themselves to say, look, a calorie is a calorie and you can have whatever you want. You don't really have to change your structure of your diet. You just have to eat less of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree.
0: I heard Lay Norton on a podcast, um, in the last few months and I kind of stopped following him quite a bit in the past. I listened to this podcast and thought, like, okay, well, this is reasonable. Like I, he, he's not saying anything that's like totally against what I would think. And I followed him for uh it was about less than 24 hours and unfollowed him as soon as soon as he did what you were mentioning like his his message isn't isn't even like what, what i've seen of his message is not even pro what he thinks it's it's almost like like against everybody else that doesn't and and spending time and energy to like throw hatred at other people like, I don't, I don't jive with that. And I think you are a great example of that. You have had people on your show who you actively disagree with that you have been able to have respectful and intelligent conversations with. You've been able to push certain things, but also kind of state the truth and state your opinion in a way that's very respectful and in a way that, um, you know, helps people make up their own opinions. And I think you and I hopefully have that in common where we're trying to get information out there without trying to like, you know, throw hatred into the vegan community or, you know, disagree with everybody in a way that tears people down. I don't think either one of us jive with that. And, and beyond that, like, yeah, I I don't think that's the right message that most people need to hear. I think that's what they want to hear is that, yeah, you can continue eating your terrible processed diet and it's okay as long as you get the right calories and you do your workouts. Mm. I, I, yeah, it seems like a very corporate food type message. It's part of why, Every time I walk by a vending machine, Coca-Cola has a message that says balance what you eat, drink, and do. Like, why the hell would Coke care about caloric balance? Mm. It's because they're trying to distract the conversation and tell people, like, don't worry, you can have our products. Just make sure that you're working out and get your walks in or whatever and balance it out with exercise. It's just mm. it, yeah, it's 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 a really deceptive message that that you know distracts people from what they really need to do to again generate health.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's exactly that. It's why would they be so focused on that argument if it wasn't benefiting them in some way? Because once you start talking about hormonal issues and you start talking about, you know, high, ca- high carbohydrate, I mean, their product is just carbohydrate. I mean, it's all really sugar, sugar and chemicals. And, um, sorry, I have a Mexican, uh, gas lorry driving past and it has little, little tubes. <laughs> <in it. laughs> nice. But, you know, so that's the way you look at it. And I think you've had her on as well, you know, Belinda Fetke and talking about and then talking about the story of Gary Fetke and all of these, these even even the regulatory bodies that are there to, quote unquote, protect us and tell us what the right information is are horribly corrupted. Horribly. Yeah, horribly corrupted.
0: And it's it's so wonderful that there's people out there that are uncovering this message and getting it out there. Um, I think a big mistake that we've made is we've trusted the medical establishment to tell us what is best for us without really realizing that just like the food companies, it, it is a business for better or worse, we live in a world where we're not really promoting health care. We're more promoting like sick care. And if you're looking at it from the lens of a business, just like the food companies, the medical industry really needs customers. They need recurring customers to come back. So they, they need you sick. So they can use your products, but they also really need you to be alive. Like they can't kill you, you know, at age 20, because that's a that's right. You need to keep your people alive long enough to use your products for a really long time. And once you see it as that, you're like, Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Why people are sick at age 20. We give them tons of pills and procedures and all kinds of stuff for 60, 70, 80 years. We can give them insulin for their diabetes. We can give them, you know, statins for their, You know, heart issues, we can give them high blood pressure medication, we can keep them alive for a really long time. That's a recurring customer that you have for a long time. Same with the food companies, like I said, like if I'm making really inexpensive processed food that's getting like, I don't know if you've seen it, if it's the same by you, like the packages of food there's like less and less food in them. Like mm. I feel like food packages are just about to start like floating up in the atmosphere. Cause there's almost like no yeah. like weight to them. Mm. You can't get full on that. And so you're always going to come back to buying more of that food in the medical industry. You're going to go back to those pills and procedures and they're going to have a customer for a long time. And so when you discover this crazy way of living where you're actually just going back to doing what we've always done as humans and eat the proper diet mm. and all of a sudden you get healthy your weight regulates, your brain functions correctly, you're really not that hungry, you've lost all your fat, you feel great, and then all the weird things start to happen like you get tan in the sun or you don't need a nap every day or your skin issues or your gut issues or all those other things clear up we notice that all the time it's just like you said earlier like i'm i'm finding very few if any people that this way of life doesn't work for in all of those different wonderful areas that all seem isolated when it's it's the same trunk of the same tree mm.
1: yeah 100% and that's what that's what's difficult to argue against and I and I try not to get in arguments about it. I try to just put information there that I think is relevant to the conversation and then people can make up their own minds. But it's the argument is, you know, like, you know, but this happened to my grandmother or like I've tried everything and I can't lose weight or I tried keto and I couldn't lose weight. I mean, you must know from working with your your clients and everything. What, what, can you tell us a bit about like the adaptation period that it takes and like how is best to actually switch on to this style of eating?
0: Yeah, that's a really great question. And I, I think I think the biggest thing that I have to understand, at least initially, with my clients, is how how sick are they of being sick? Are are you really like extremely motivated to not be sick anymore? Or are you just trying to lose a few pounds? Because that can kind of tell you like how hard you want to go into this. Um, but generally speaking, when somebody wants to switch to this. Kind of way of eating. They want to burn fat as fuel. They want to be ketogenic, which means their body is making ketones out of fat, which is a basically like a a different way to fuel the body. I think the number one best thing for most people to do in the beginning, when they're first getting started, is to reintroduce fat in the diet, and and to go hard, like really hard, into salty, fatty animal protein. Start with that. Finally. For once in your life, give yourself permission to eat until you are not full, but satiated. Whatever food you have in front of you is delicious and amazing, and you eat it until you don't even want to lift your fork up again. Giving people permission to have the omelets, eat eggs until they can't eat eggs anymore, Um, have the steak, put butter on the steak, salt the steak, eat it until you don't want to eat it anymore. Be truly, truly satiated with your food. Most people are stuck in this world where they're terrified of calories. They're terrified of fat. They want to track everything. They want to portion control everything. And so they get locked in this pattern of like fullness. Like, yeah, you eat a salad that's got some chicken in it. You might be kind of full for a few hours. Two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock. Guess what happens to everybody? You have brain fog. You are starving. You're hangry. Your coworkers know not to bug you Mm. until you've had your 3 p.m. cappuccino and donut Like, like get past that reintroduce animal proteins and fats to really have satiety and teach people what it's like to not fast intentionally, but just not be hungry for like a long time, like a weird amount of time. I think that's a great place to help get people started so that they understand like, oh great, like I don't need to be meal prepping all the time. I don't need to be eating and snacking every 2 to 3 hours. I can have a meal, eat until I'm fully satiated, and I don't even really think about food for like 10 hours, 12 hours. Like that's when you start people down the path of getting to feel better.
1: And it's not just about that's I'm uh, um- the the difference you made at the start there which like you've got ketosis where you're burning ketones but adding fat to the diet is not just an aim for ketosis it's an aim of you know s- satiety and just generally reducing the amount of carbohydrates that you end up having in the diet you're not aiming for ketosis
0: yeah that's a really great point um yeah initially i and I, I don't know about you but i don't tend to have a lot of people track their ketones I think there is some justification for certain people being in ketosis for a very long time. Um, If you have mental issues or seizures or epilepsy or things of that nature, I think it's important to understand how to get yourself into a deep state of ketosis. Uh, But I don't think that's necessary for most people. And for most people, I don't even really have them track um, whether they are in a state of ketosis or not. Most people just want to burn fat. They want to have less fat than they have and they want to not feel hungry all the time. And so, whether or not somebody's in ketosis, I don't really track that as much. Um, it also becomes frustrating with the recommendations that we make for fat intake in the diet and how much that really has to change based on where you are in your phases of adaptation. And so initially, We ramp up the fat for people so that we do, like you said, bring down the carbohydrates to get the body understanding that, yeah, we can use fat as fuel. But eventually, we also notice that a lot of people stall if they're continuing to just consume tons and tons of fat. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but most people want to burn the fat that is already present on the body. And so where we would make a recommendation to ramp up the fat in the beginning, we also can make recommendations to bring the intake of fat down over time so that people are getting the fat loss results they think they want. So yeah, that's
1: a really good point. I'm glad you made that distinction. And and when you're bringing that fat level down, presumably, what, what, are, you, what are you adding in in its place? Are you adding in, are you just over reducing amount of intake then, or are you like adding in protein or are you still increasing like some form of vegetable carbohydrates, or what what's going on there?
0: Question. I think the macronutrient that i if if I had people track um, more than any other, I would think I would say protein. I think protein is the most important to at least have a good, consistent amount every day. I think over time people can shift from having more fat to having more protein in their diet. Um, I think there's a few caveats to that, but I do think protein, it's probably the most important macronutrient to track if you're trying to work on your nutrition. Um, yeah, the, I think I think having the high protein, getting your body adapted to burning fat, whether that's coming from food or coming from your stored fat, and then keeping the carbohydrates as low as possible, I think is the most benefit. You asked specifically about vegetables, which you know, when I was first getting into low carbohydrate ketogenic diets, I found a very high value in vegetables and fiber, making sure that people getting in their leafy greens. And it was really over time understanding that uh, not only do I not think the vegetables are very helpful, but I think in a lot of cases can be actively harmful for people. And that's kind of what started the journey into carnivore and understanding that wow maybe people can have only animal products and not only like do it and be okay but actually like thrive when they're cutting out plant matter especially vegetables it's a very bizarre and weird story but it's it's pretty fascinating and yeah i i think i'm with you like thinking that i needed to blend up spinach and beets and almond mm. milk that i did every single morning like no not only do you not need to do that? But really, you
1: probably shouldn't do that. It was yeah. very interesting to, to uh, learn. Yeah, yeah. The crazy thing is, like all the time, I I feel like I'm slipping back into the mindset of you know, if I don't listen to a, to someone speaking on some some of these nutrition stuff and the plant toxins, then I will slip back into oh, maybe I do just need like you know some spinach every now and then and eggs, y and z. And but the, the thing I heard the other day was that it's crazy how these dogmas just prevail. In in the industry, because you know, ten years ago, everyone was saying, you know, well, if you're going to have rice, have brown rice because brown rice is, you know, it's got the fiber and it's got the husk and it's got all this stuff. And now we come to see that it's actually the brown rice that's far more harmful because it's got this husk on the outside, which has all the toxins in it, which is they're designed to protect the 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 grain and in the inside. You know, so like, where previously the people who thought that they were being healthier by eating you know, the brown rice, they're actually like, it's, it's less heard. The whole world gets flipped sometimes in the nutrition industry. And you're like, and that's why you could, you can't blame people for going like throwing up their hands and going, like, no one knows what they're talking about here. Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. That's a great point. That's if, if you're going to save me one of my many, many, many meals of brown rice and broccoli <laughs> and chicken breast, I'm sure you've consumed a lifetime of that as well. So. Oh, terrible. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it, it, it sucks. And you're right. Like I don't blame anybody for, just giving up on all of this and saying like, screw all of these people who are telling me to eat this terrible food that I hate. I'm just going to go back to eating processed food and eat cold cereal in the morning. I don't blame anybody for doing that. Mm. Um, Sucks because it's their own health that's going to suffer because the wrong message is being put out there. And and people, it's not their fault. People are not broken. like, if you're listening to this and you've done diets and you've done workout programs and you didn't get results and you think that you're terrible and you suck, like it has nothing to do with you like it is bad advice it's being thrust on you and the sooner you realize it the better off you're going to be
1: 100 percent. and i want to talk a little bit about the, the 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 guests that you've had on boundless body because you've had i mean you've had nearly 400 episodes so do you have any in your head that stand out as like like that you kind of took a step back and you went "Fuck, that's incredible information like that needs to be out there more man yeah there's probably so <laughs> that- many
0: so many, I, but yeah, it's it, like, you would say the same thing, hosting the people that you've hosted. And it's, it for me, it's really fun to understand that there's like no rules of who we can host on our show. Um, and it's, it's really cool to host again, some of the people that you've hosted, Dr. Bill Schindler, Belinda Fecky, Dr. Chafee, like these are superstars in our world. And to be able to talk to them and have conversations with them about what they've learned is really, it's humbling. It's, it's, it's really amazing. And so, yeah, Nina Teicholz, uh, Gary Taubes, um, you know, Ben Bickman, like all of these guys having conversations with them was absolutely incredible, but it's also, I, I, I kind of learned that it's really amazing to talk to those people, but there are so many other people out there in the world that are, have a like a similar situation to what I have here, which is like, you know, we've got a small business. I train my people in my neighborhood. Like we're not an empire. I'm not trying to, you know, sell best selling books and have crazy amounts of content. Like I, I'm passionate about this and I want to help people understand a true way to health. And so I love connecting with other people that are like-minded out there. Maybe they, this podcast just yet, but they're doing great work and they're sharing it with people in their own way. And so it's also really fun to connect with people who are equally passionate about their message and are willing to share it and understanding that, yeah, we all may never get like thousands and thousands of downloads and become Joe Rogan, but we're, mm. we're pushing a message forward and it's really helping people. And so mm. also making those types of connections with people that are you know doing really good, honest work out there has been awesome and a great part of that journey. and makes me really grateful to meet, you know, people like you and the people mm-hmm. that we have had the pleasure to connect with all around the world that have that in common.
1: Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's the crazy thing, isn't it? Like I, when I started the podcast as well, I was, I was never thinking like, oh, I want to take this to like the stars. It was just, what's well, going to give me a great opportunity to one, like dispel some health myths, one, get me really engaged with Other people in the community and like give me the opportunity to speak to incredible people. Like yesterday, I got to speak at the last minute to Matt Wenning, like this super big guy in strength, like has numbers of world records in powerlifting. And like he's, he's, you know, been in contact with, he's been associated with Charles Poliquin, like all these other huge strength guys. And I'm like, just send him a message on Instagram. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll come and talk. And I'm like, "Ah, I'm kind of pinching myself. Like, what the hell? And like all these other guys, like Bill Schindler and Nancy Chafee, it's like, I'm like, it's almost like a bit of imposter syndrome where you're like, why would they give me the time of day to, you know, actually come and speak to me and put their message out on, on my podcast. So like, it's a real, it's a really humbling thing where you're like, wow, this is, there's, there's something bigger at play here than just, you know, me and my wants and my ego and everything. This is about getting more health knowledge to more people.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I'm I, guessing I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you, you and I have not talked about this before, mm. but just, I I think I know the answer. When you reached out to somebody like Dr. Bill Schindler, did, did his team reach back out to you and say like, okay, cool. Like how many downloads do you have? Nah. How many episodes have nah. you done? This is my speaking fee. Or was it was it Dr. Bill Schindler himself that responded and said something like, dude, I would love to be
1: on your show. 100% the latter, yeah. like, yeah, they, which, which again was, was for me is the, the crazy thing. I'm like, these guys must have media teams. They must have like a PA. They <laughs> must have a secretary. They must have someone who's like, you know, working out what the most effective podcast to be on is X, Y, And Z. And it's like, Hey, no worries. Yeah. I'm free this time. Like let's work out some times. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's
0: incredible that, that we had no downloads. We had nobody, you know, really big on our show. I loved Bill Chandler. I'd followed his work for a long time and emailed. And I I still have the email that said, Casey, I would love to be on your show. And he didn't care. Same with Dr. Chafee. Like, he didn't care. He's got a message. They're extremely articulate. They can explain things in a way that makes perfect sense, whether you've been in the health world or not. And they're, they're, they're just like you and I, where they're so excited with this message that is not being promoted from the top down. They just want to get out there and get that message out. And so, yeah, it is humbling. It It's, it almost stopped me from doing a podcast to begin with mm. is that feeling of like, what the hell am I going to be able to say? What the fuck mm. message do I have that somebody hasn't already covered in a way that's way more articulate than I could ever do. And it's like, you know what? We all have a place. We all have a voice. It's not a competition. We're all sharing this message and we all have a unique way of tackling it and
1: mm. we can all
0: be part of the conversation in whatever sphere of influence we have. It's super cool.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's that's something that carries through into so many other areas of life. It's like taking that leap of faith because it is, you know, starting a podcast is a leap of, leap of faith just like starting a new job or putting out your CV to a new company or starting a business or, you know, asking that girl, if she wants to go on a date or whatever it might be, it's a leap of faith. And you just have to say, if not me, then who, and like my, my, the the thing I create now is not going to be what it is forever. So the thing I create now is the starting point. And it's the starting point that is so important. It's starting that takes you that place, even in weight loss journey, whatever it might be
0: what amazing advice absolutely like the number of times that i wanted to do practice run-throughs and let's let's not record our first episode today let's do it tomorrow like it's it's that kind of Stephen pressfield war of art stuff if you've ever read his book the war of art nice. talking about um uh, yeah not the art of war but the war of art it's basically about content creation and saying that like like y- you you have a message but there is a form of resistance that you have internally, anytime you want to improve or create something or generate something, there's a form of resistance that you have to push past. And if you can get down to doing the work, if you can start somewhere, it's not going to be perfect. Who cares? Just put a message out there, refine as you go. And then like, d- by doing that process, things open up that you would have never imagined. Opportunities, uh, growth that you've never seen. Like You, you can't Understand where your journey is going to take you unless you start. And so, yeah, it, I, 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 wonderful piece of advice. Like you said, like, regardless of whether you think you've got a message for a podcast, you are starting a weight loss journey, your brain. And your soul is going to tell you like, yeah, we're going to do this for sure tomorrow. <laughs> or let's wait until January. Let's wait till the holidays are over. Or ah, let me refine it a little bit more to make sure it's okay. Like, no, no, no. Put it out there. Get going. Get started. Refine as you go. And see what areas of opportunity open up as you
1: go. Exactly. I think that's a wonderful message to, to kind of leave ringing in people's ear. Um, Casey, thank you so much for coming on today. Where can people find more information out about you and uh what can we expect in the in the coming in the coming weeks and months
0: yeah well thank you so much finley for hosting me it's been an awesome conversation i've really enjoyed finding your work it really was Likewise. through like researching I, I believe it was belinda Fetke that i was researching and getting a last mm. few downloads in yours was one of the first one that popped up and like man this guy is a great podcast host and i had pretty much all of your episodes binged that weekend oh, i you, absolutely brother. loved it no it was great <laughs> um so yeah, I really appreciate you and your work. And it's been a pleasure to come on here. Um, most of our stuff can be found on our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. Um, if you pull up our website, one of the very first things you see would be a book now button. And we offer a complimentary 30-minute session to anybody out there to chat about whatever they like, whether they want to talk about you know diet, keto diets, carnivore diets, uh, strength training. Um, any other lifestyle practices they're thinking about, we're more than happy to, um, you know, schedule a time. People can click and reserve a time to chat with us about that. You can find our podcast there, which is Boundless Body Radio. You can see our social media stuff. But yeah, the best way to find us is myboundlessbody.com.
1: Amazing. Thank you everyone for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure to have Casey on. Casey, thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to hearing more in the future. Thank you so very much. It's such an honor.
0: So thank you again so very much for listening to this bonus episode of my recent appearance on the Chatting Fit Podcast with Finlay McLaren. Like we said in the introduction, be sure to go over to Apple Podcasts, follow his show, and be sure to leave him a rating and review. Check it out. He really does such an amazing job. His episodes are fantastic. I think you'll really get into the flow of the things that he is trying to, um, you know, kind of talk about and highlight in his show if you are enjoying our show. I'm sure you will enjoy his show as well. Be on the lookout for a collaboration coming up between the two of us. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like, and I'm very excited about it. And as always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio.